Good morning. So, as Anne said, I'm Matt, uh, Matt Williams, and I've been connected to St. Barnabas now for, well, just since the middle of last year, uh, when I came down from Durham on a mission to marry Mercedes. Um, and by God's grace, that was successful, uh, despite the lockdown. Um, and my two day jobs, I'm doing two part-time jobs at the moment, involve doing biblical research on all kinds of relationships. And the other one is working with parents of less advantaged young people to try to help improve their access to higher education. And both of these things are really relevant topics to what I'll be talking about today. Um, so I'm just going to pray very briefly. I know Anne's prayed, but I always have to pray as well. Um, so that it's the Spirit's words that you hear and not primarily mine. Yeah, I pray, Father, that as you've done all through time and space, that you'd speak through Jesus by your Holy Spirit in these words. Amen. So we're going to begin with a reading, and this reading happens to be a story. Sometimes the way that scripture is read, it's like you forget that this is actually a story. This is something which we're supposed to get into and inhabit. And it just happens that this story was written by someone, probably called Luke, um, somewhere in the Roman Empire, back in the first century. And as with many stories, it begins with saying, once upon a time, and this time is about the year zero in Jerusalem. So this is Luke 1, verse 5 to 17. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. So this might feel really far away from our reality sitting here in Cambridge. In some ways it probably should because we're talking about a king of a place named Judea, a guy called Herod, a priest called Zechariah who conducts an incense-burning ritual that the whole community turns out for. 
And there's a visit from an angel who comes and tells him a promise about a teetotal prophet that his wife's going to bear. Like sometimes you get so used to the Bible, you forget how completely alien some of it is. So where do we start with this kind of story? Well, there's another way in. Because seen from another angle, this story is actually about something much closer to home. Literally, it's about family. You've got a man and his wife who really desperately want to have children. And then you have the joy that would come when they raised a boy who would be even more devout than they themselves were. And actually, when you begin to look a bit closer, it's amazing how much the theme of family comes out again and again in this passage. So Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, she can trace her family line right back to Moses' brother, Aaron. And it's an especially big deal then that she's not able to have children. Because what's going to happen to that family line? And the angel appears in the temple. Now you might think of the temple as being kind of just religious building, a ceremonial thing. But another way to see it, and this is how Jesus saw it, this is God's house. When he gets really angry, um, and it comes up in, in all of the Gospels at different points, but in Luke 19, he chucks people out of the temple. Why? Because they're desecrating my father's house, God's house. So it's kind of a family thing going on here. And what the angel tells Zechariah, it's not some big prophetic, prophetic announcement about kings and like the movement of nations and about governments. It's actually an answered prayer to his personal request for a child. That's what the angel starts with. And even the child called John will not be someone who just turns back people to God. Yes, that's gonna happen, but look how it's described in verse 17 turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. And actually even before that, in verse 16, it doesn't come through so well in the NIV, but it literally says that John will turn many of the sons of Israel back to their Lord. And even this word Lord, Kyrios in Greek, it's got this sense of being the head of a household quite often. It's not just a kind of metaphysical term about God out there, it's a word that would have been used commonly about the head of a household. So what ministry of restoration that this John is going to have is very much a family affair. And what's happening in this story is, as I hope you'd be expecting at Christmas, really awesome news. Because if you know the history of ancient Israel, as we read it through scripture, it's a tale of massive promise, massive blessing, but repeated failure over and over again. And even the best efforts that people make bear no fruit really in the end. And the central problem uh, was that they drifted away from the only thing that could ever have made them great, which was their commitment to God. But a part of how this drift was manifest was actually in a lot of catastrophic family relationships, if you read it. You get adultery, you get crazy kinds of polygamy, uh, and you get a lot of infighting siblings, with parents. And what, when it happens at the level of leadership, those kind of relationships literally tear a nation apart. And if you read the story of David and Solomon, you look what happens in their relationships and with their kids. It literally ends to the, the split of the, the kingdom. All those relationship dynamics have that effect. 
So when divine intervention happens in this really dramatic way in the story, we, story we've read, God's actually working through this simple, faithful family to prepare the whole nation for a much brighter day and a day when the Lord, the only perfect leader, would actually come. And this story we've read is actually part of an even bigger story again. It's part of a story we're all part of because humanity as a whole, um, as is really impossible to ignore, has fallen far, far short of what we're made to be. And right from when Abel was killed by his jealous brother, what happens in families really graphically exposes some of the deepest aspects of human failing. The state of relationships in our royal family has been tabloid fodder for years and years and years, and it's not looking like stopping anytime soon. And something much darker, it's dark, darker this week with Arthur Abinio Hughes, which is absolutely shocking if you've read about this, what happened to him. Yeah, I'm not going to say much about him. Um, but you've heard and you've read and you'll have seen images if you've been following the news. And unfortunately, there's people sitting here today who've suffered a lot behind closed doors. But truthfully, are there actually any of us here today who can say that we wouldn't be ashamed of some of the way that we've treated our own family members? behind closed doors. If stuff that has happened in homes became public knowledge, there'd be so much shame, so much deep shame. But God knows this. God is 100% aware of every single thing that's happened. He knows, and what does he do? Well, he comes into the world. That's. That's the awesome thing about Christmas. Like, God comes into the world as Jesus, the Son of God, to become part of the human family and to suffer the worst of what the human family had to offer. Why? So we could become members of his family. It's that beautiful. It's that simple. When Jesus died and he rose again, he opened the door wide to God's family, and he said, come in. And that's a Christmas gift. That's what Elizabeth and Zechariah, what their little boy would grow up and proclaim and prepare the way for. And that's why Christmas is a gift and a joy. And if you get nothing else from what I say, please get a taste of this joy that comes from realizing that God has opened the door to relationship. We're forgiven, absolutely safe, and we're home forever. It's part of his family. And this relationship, it's, it's not an abstract thing. Some people think of spiritual things as being sort of ideas or principles or abstract things. There's a very real connection between us and God. And it also connects us to each other, and that connection is called the Holy Spirit. And we cannot miss the fact that what made John so special was that he was filled with the Spirit even before birth. And that's what enabled John to have such a massive impact, was exactly this filling with the Spirit. We may not all play the same kind of role as John, doing kind of public preaching and the incredible career that he had, 
but we can all have that spirit. And in fact, that's the only way we can actually know that joy and actually live the way that God wants us to live. So, very ancient story, very far away about a backwater religious community. It's actually our story we're reading. That's the awesome thing. But what does it mean? And specifically, what does it mean for us right here, right now, St. Barnabas today? Well, preparing our hearts for Advent, it's not just about having great spiritual experiences. It's really great to worship, and worship is, is such a privilege. But it's not just about that kind of spiritual high. It's about actually looking at our relationships, thinking how we need to address things which need to be addressed. You remember Jesus' advice in Matthew 5 to the pious Jews that he was talking to? He said to them, if you're about to offer a sacrifice and you remember some issue with someone in the community, don't you dare offer that sacrifice. You go sort that out first. And that's what we're being faced with. It's the same with us. Let's not get so caught up in doing all these Christmas things, even church things, whatever spiritual things you can imagine, and forget the actual issues and relationships that the Spirit's prodding us to deal with. And this doesn't actually apply only to people immediately around us. It also applies to generations who are yet to come. And I can explain what I mean by this. It's something that's been percolating around my head for a little while now. A few weeks ago, we went to, to Wales, back where I'm from, um, and we were in this little tiny church in a place called New Quay, um, which is part of the Great Welsh Revival. And reading a little info sheet, you know, they have these little info sheets in churches about what's happened there. My, my grand, great-granddad's name popped up. Nantlice, he was called, who's a poet and a hymn writer. And there was also a Bible sitting there. Uh, Welsh Bible, I went and looked, and it was open at the beginning of the New Testament, which is no big deal, natural place to leave a Bible open. But that's Matthew, which is my name, and there was a genealogy there, a list of all these generations. And it's making me think, what kind of dad am I preparing to be? Will I kind of do this stereotypical male thing and like pour my energy into work and kind of give the dregs of my energy to the child, who happens to be due on St. David's Day, by the way, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. Or will I prepare my heart and actually prepare space, prepare a life that's actually going to take seriously the potential of this future generation, uh, as seriously as Zechariah and Elizabeth surely did with John? I know this doesn't apply to everyone in exactly the same way, not everyone's at this stage in this sort of context of family, children, etc. And you yourself may be sitting there thinking, I wish other people had taken that attitude with me, sort of poured their, their energy or life into me. But Jesus is actually offering us the power of the Spirit to break this kind of cycle, to break a cycle by which we don't have to repeat the way in which we were treated. It doesn't have to be the same. And besides, so many of us have a chance, even now, whether we have kids, we don't have kids, whether we're going to have kids or not, to really invest in young people, whether as relatives, as friends, even just as members of a church. That's part of what it's about. 
And let me challenge you to consider how you could really do that today. How you can invest in young people. How can you care for young people, children, um, who you have any sort of access to, to influence. It's a really big deal. Uh, and this takes us to our, our final point, because tragically, as we, as we know, and as we've been hearing about again, some people's experience of family leaves them pretty much with only pain. And just last night, actually, on the train, <laughs> again, kind of emotion. There's this woman, like, slightly tipsy, so she's probably speaking a bit louder than she should have, and saying things that she might not have done if she'd been more with it. But she was lamenting the fact that she was adopted. She was talking to a friend, and she was lamenting the fact that she was adopted. She was trying to say, you know, adoption is kind of good, but I'm now age 41, and I don't know who I am. I'm still looking for who I am. That's what she's saying on the train going back to wherever she lived on, on a Saturday night in Cambridge. And her yearning, like what she really hopes for more than anything else, is not actually ultimately going to be solved or met by discovering her lineage. And neither is any of us, no matter what our background is. That's actually not ultimately going to solve our yearning. Because the ultimate reality of family we yearn for is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us, children of God. And you can be this family right here and right now, including how you talk to people after this service, how you talk to the other people in the community, how you welcome outsiders into this community, how you welcome people you maybe haven't seen before, how you show people where your identity ultimately is in a world full of people who are desperately trying to work out who they actually are. And this is the kind of people that God is preparing us to be. And we can't let COVID stop us becoming this kind of people. So to conclude, Advent is about preparing for Christmas and we remember the gift of Jesus, remember his first coming, but we should always end up pointing to the future where we prepare for Jesus' second coming. It's getting sooner by the day. Amen.